there's this idea called cost of capital. Okay. And this is basically the rate of return that investors require on their capital, right? This is a very simple concept when it comes to the cost of debt capital. So for example, like if I loan a company a million dollars and I charge 5%, then I'm saying that the cost of that that I expect is 5%, right? But it gets more complicated when you own a stock, uh, when you own equity, right? Because there isn't that like stated rate as you have with debt. Debt will be a 5% rate or a 7% rate, just like a mortgage. So it's a little more complicated with equity. Well, I'm just going to give an example to kind of illustrate this concept. Let's say that you give a toy store owner a million dollars to start a toy store, and he invests that million dollars. So after he's invested it, let's say he buys a building for, I don't know, $500,000 to have his, to run his toy store out of, and he buys $500,000 worth of inventory. So basically, you have a million dollars in invested capital in that toy business, right? Now, let's say that this guy's an idiot and he doesn't know how to run a toy store and he only makes like $20,000 on a million dollars of invested capital. That's very poor, right? That's a very low rate of return. Investor expected, you know, 50,000. So the investor expected 5%. So basically, this band is uh, substantially underperforming. What this all brings up is this, I would say it's an inherent problem with free market capitalism. I was just having this conversation the other day on, on this forum with a bunch of liberals about this. And obviously, they got the whole situation wrong. This is my claim. Small business is actually the worst part of capitalism. Small businesses are the most inefficient thing like imaginable. And it's actually big businesses and like hedge funds and private equity firms who are actually doing the right things. So going back to this toy store example, let's say this toy store employs like 10 people and they're, you know, super jolly, doing well in a small town, but really the business isn't making much money. The return for that guy who invested the billion dollars is only 20000 So let's say like a hedge fund comes in there, just hypothetically, and buys up as many shares as he can, and then he liquidates the toys. He liquidates the toys, he sells them to a big toy manufacturer, and he sells the building. All right. And then he takes that million dollars and he invests it in another business. That capital was more efficiently invested. Looking at the math here, let's say that the $500,000 worth of toys, like a big uh, toy store like Toys R Us, and let's say they earn a 10% rate of return. So that's 50000 of the 500000 Let's say the building goes to a barber, or that barber runs a super good business, and he earns 10% of that on that. So then you're using the capital more efficiently. So that's a total of 100000 versus the 30000 before. So now this may all seem very arcane to you. What leftists would say is that hedge fund was terrible for liquidating it because then all those employees were fired and shit. But the thing here, this is my claim, is that what that hedge fund is doing is making capitalism more efficient and doing really what I believe the government should be doing. So now let's imagine we live in a country like China. Well, instead of a hedge fund doing a process like this, It'll be the state government. It'll be the government. So imagine that this toy store, 50% owned by the government. Well, the government would see that it's being inefficiently run. And now there are a few options here. If it's like healthcare or something that's socially necessary, the government would nationalize it. 
realizing that this business isn't supposed to make a profit. So even if it's only earning 3% on the invested capital, well, we'll just nationalize it and it doesn't really need to be profitable. And now they earn 100%. But if it's something like a toy store that isn't really socially necessary, the Chinese government really let it be run so inefficiently? No, of course not. They would do what the hedge fund in America did. They would liquidate the assets and invest the capital in something that produces a higher uh, rate of return. So basically what I'm saying is that the rate of return on your capital is a very important measure of efficiency. And that even communists, and I would say especially communists, who critique free market capitalism as being inefficient, should very much care about that. And right, and they should want capital to be invested as efficiently as possible. Because when capital is invested efficiently, that is better for the working class. It's better for innovation. It's literally better for anybody. So really, what people on the left should be criticizing is small businesses and small companies that are run inefficiently. And what we should prefer is that big companies take over all of this capital, all of these assets, and run them more efficiently. I know that's kind of a rant. I hope I explain it kind of simply. But I've actually been thinking a lot about very related issues. So I was watching Jimmy Dore the other day. Jimmy Dore is this very like progressive, like Bernie Sanders or Bus kind of dude. He's associated with the uh, Young Turks, essentially. He's on their network. And his entire point was that Walmart's a terrible company because, like, look how much they pay their workers. Almost all their workers are on, like, food stamps and shit like that because Walmart is so profitable and it gains so much money and they've developed a very efficient distribution network and they can provide things at such a low price point. They're the most supply-side efficient. Uh, well, they're one of the most supply-side efficient economies because they can constantly deliver a high rate of return and provide um, goods at a very low price. And so the investors who invest in Walmart are getting a good amount of money, and Walmart has more money to invest, and it's building up large and larger infrastructure. Yep. I mean, I completely agree with you. Like To me, Walmart it should be like a socialist or a communist like dream, because what capitalism does is it, it has all this competition, right? And then you know we see who gets to the top. And those things at the top are the things that we want or the things that communists and socialists should want the, uh, you know, the central planners to like, to duplicate, you know, we should want, you know, if we designed our own, you know, socialist utopia, we should want that socialist utopia to look very closely at Walmart and our practices and see how we can do the same thing, essentially. So again, if you had the central planner, yeah, they would definitely invest money in certain small businesses the ones that they thought were going to succeed, tech startups and whatnot, that looked very promising. But the problem with our uh, system, our free market system, is that oftentimes, I would argue, small businesses like, yeah, the first few years, we see what happens. But then after that, 90% of them don't do very well. Most of them fail, go bankrupt. But a lot of them don't go bankrupt, and they just do not very well, but they stay afloat. And I would argue that if we had a centrally planned economy, we could get rid of those businesses and take that capital that they have and put it in the hands of the Walmarts and Amazons of the world, which are more efficient operators. And by doing that, we're making our entire economy more efficient. The one benefit of allowing small businesses to hold that capital 
uses that, some of them will eventually make innovations. And that's, and also in addition, the ones that aren't making lots of money, their ability to gain capital will, you know, be non-existent. They won't be able to raise more funds. They won't be able to expand while the ones that are doing very well will be able to raise a lot more capital and they can expand. Uh, okay. So I, I agree with you on half of that. So this idea that, yeah, so like the small businesses that are doing very well, yeah, they are the ones that raise the capital. And these ones that aren't doing very well, yeah, they ultimately have, you know, they struggle to raise capital. But still, some of these that aren't doing very, very well, but they still are marginally profitable. So again, they might have a million dollars in, in, you know, in invested capital, but they might only be making $20,000 a year. But you can technically do that forever, right? Because you're still profitable. You're not going to go bankrupt. But that million dollars would be more efficiently allocated in the hands of Walmart or Amazon. But a second point, and this I kind of thought about before this podcast that I wanted to talk about, is this idea that just like U.S. law and ownership works. There's this problem called, uh, I believe it's called the uh, the agency problem. And this is like, this I think is another point for the communists, I guess. This is definitely something that they should probably talk more about. And this is the idea that there's a conflict between the owners of a business and the people who manage a business. Hypothetically, if we look at a small public company, uh, it could be owned by a hundred different people. A huge mutual fund, they might own a small stake. A hedge fund might own a stake. A thousand different individuals might own a stake, right? And there's the CEO and CFO, and they might not own very much the business. Theoretically, the people who own the business, the shareholders, should be the ones making decisions. Because of practicality, they have a CEO and CFO who, who do this. You know, even with a board of directors, which exists to protect shareholder interests, what ultimately happens is that CEOs and CFOs ultimately have a lot of power and they can screw over shareholders. And this is because they can do things like poison pills and they can uh, and they can just really entrench themselves in, in business and make it difficult for shareholders to change. Now, I could bring up lots of evidence for that. And maybe if this is on YouTube in the comments, I'll post some stuff. But anyway, so the point is. When you have this conflict between management and shareholders, you know, managers, their self-interest, look, imagine you have a small company that's not doing very well, but they're marginally profitable. Well, the CEO's best interest might not be to really expand the company or to allocate capital more efficiently. His best interest is just to pay himself as much as he possibly can. So what this leads to, again, is just inefficiently invested capital and shareholders can't do much about it. But now, again, imagine if we're in China, where the government has a 50% stake. Well, then the government can just say, because they own 50% or, you know, a majority, if they own like 51 or whatever, they can just say, well, CEO, CFO, you're inefficiently managing this capital. You're fired. We're going to hire somebody who's better at this, or we're going to take all this capital and give it to a bigger business that's already proven itself. And this is just, to me, like one of the advantages of central planning. And like, but still, yeah, like if there's a small business that's really succeeding, then the Chinese government would be fine allowing them to continue to use that capital, you know, while they prove themselves. But after a certain amount of time, you know, to, to have all this capital, because if after 20 years, they're still producing subpar returns, that capital would be better off with Walmart or Amazon or, you know, some other big company. Capital is a scarce resource. 
right? We only have so many factories. So we want the companies that are managing the factories to be the most efficient companies possible. So like if you have a thousand different companies and each one owns one factory, well, that's stupid because like one of those companies might be producing a 20% return while, you know, 999 of those companies might only producing like a 1% return, right? So it's better if all thousand factories are then with that one company. Now that's an extreme example. It illustrates one, I would say, a major issue of, of our version of capitalism compared to China's version of capitalism. Now, for example, there has been some success stories, but like, for example, let's look at um, the Soviet Union. They were able to rapidly industrialize using central planning. The general problems were is that the effect of a lot of the central planning was to literally um, kill off large parts of the population. In addition, it wasn't ultimately a very long-term strategy because the popular thing to do is to literally, I guess supply-side economics works very well in theory, but it hasn't caught on politically because of the problem of it doesn't sound good to most people. Like Marxist-Leninists, I think, they're very much they say they're about the people, but really I think it's very much more of an elitist brand. Marxism in the sense that they are kind of, well, we're literally just going to do what we need to do. There are things like we are the representatives of the people. The people are not the people. But a lot of other Marxists will say, oh, no, the people are literally the people. The idea of vanguardism is irrelevant. But I think Marxist-Leninists are smart in the sense that like, really saying like the, pe- the people have to be an ideological concept. They can't actually be the literal people. So where did capitalism come from? And a lot of the people who were like the early capitalists were very smart. Bourgeois, why wasn't it that bourgeois got together and they all collectively said, hey, why don't you work here? We're all going to collectively run this thing. Why was that not the model? Because that could have well been the model if literally collectively run enterprises were the best thing. Then why the time when enterprises were just forming? Why didn't collectively run enterprises dominate? Because literally, the idea of like raising money for stock companies was non-existent. And it was a completely new thing. Literally, there was no actual ideological position at the time of whether cooperatives or a top-down model would work. But the question is, why did the top-down model ultimately went out? And the only way they can answer this, that's in a favorable way to them, is they just have to say, no, literally, it was just the rich were a priority. They, they already existed. We have to assume there must be these ultimate like rich bourgeois people who are just perpetually rich and they're always in their status or they just magically poofed and became rich one day. They just appeared out of thin air. It's like, that's just a really naive way of looking at it. It's obviously the best way to run these companies isn't a top-down model. Now, the thing ultimately is as technology has gone on, we have allowed for some enterprises where it doesn't necessarily require a large chunk of management or overhead Things that can be very much done automatically, then you could possibly have a co-op. <clears throat> That's interesting. I'm always skeptical of collective management just because I don't, I don't see a lot of examples of it. It's like completely untested versus we already have a model that's, uh, I would say, working extremely well. I would say hierarchical organizations work extremely well when all the conditions are right. Why fuck things up when we don't have to? And but my biggest argument against collective work environments is just simple laziness. Like, and I mean that in the, in the best way possible. Like, I don't think the average employee wants to concern his or herself with you know management activities. It's just 
it's a bore and it's a lot of work. You know, the average person just wants to go home. So I would say workers benefit tremendously from, you know, not having that stress to deal with. So yeah, um, friend of the show, Miss Mega Jawline, also an Ancom. I actually invited her to talk on about that um, book she sent us called The Capitalist System by Mikhail Bakunin. I'm completely willing to talk to her. I'd love to talk to an Ancom because I think I could maybe talk some sense into her. I very much sympathize with Marxist-Leninists and people like that. And I think, you know, in the end, they're probably right. (laughs) Although I hate to say it. I like to make as little change as possible while improving the lives of people as much as possible. But I think if we were talking about just pure raw efficiency, economically, I would, I would have to say that the Marxist lineups are probably right. But I can say for sure that the incomes and the syndicalists and shit are wrong. But anyway, so a key thing um, this person had brought up was this idea that like, workers, they can just manage the production. You don't need to have a boss or anything like that. The workers can just choose somebody who's competent among them. And they can manage it for no more money than the workers wouldn't make. Oh, I, I remember that part. <laughs> it was like right in the beginning. It's like, why would you want to have a boss? And so when you build the means of production, you need to allocate resources, which are scarce. There's only so much to build the means of production. And it is also a matter of what percentage uh, of your allocation is consumption. In the long run, consumption has to be below investment. This is still a problem. But we don't want to produce things that people don't want. When dealing with food, uh, these things can be easy because we know uh, how many calories people need. And most parts of eating habits are pretty consistent. So in theory, it would be not as hard to plan production of food around some extent. But let's just say, for example, when to start a tablet computer manufacturing company or facility in some sort of anarchist or communist uh, society, does the community really have the authority to determine whether what we produce is necessary, consider all the outright scams and feel-good projects that are given a large amount of resources by Kickstarter, that literally have no chance of success and are literally have no basis in reality, but still they attract millions of dollars in funding. People have this delusion that like, oh, the communities can just decide. Now there's some people who literally just are basically, they don't want to admit it, but they're basically primitivists in the sense that they only literally care about like food essentially. Like as long as people have food, and I guess housing, then like some anarchists have literally said they don't think we'll be able to have the internet anymore because we just can't maintain the internet without exploitative capitalism. If your ideology says we cannot have one of the greatest inventions of mankind, then you literally, your ideology is complete trash. I would disagree with you on one point. So I would say that anarcho-communism is dumb. However, I would say that anarcho-primitivists are honest and that oh, if no, I, that, I agree and no, but and it, that if that is what you want, then anarcho-primitivism, you know, well, it would be unsuccessful for other reasons. But I would say that okay, the internet's great, and there there are great parts of uh, of modern society. But I think we could have a long debate about whether or not advancing past hunter-gatherer societies was a good thing. I think one could argue easily that. If humanity had stopped and continued to be hunter-gatherers, the planet would be much better off. Unless you want to be a primitivist, anarchism doesn't really make any sense. In the sense, you literally can't have, you need to have some sort of authority that literally decides um, that people sitting around who are experts in tablet computing 
in general we have they're called investors who literally invest in yeah so we already have we already have it we've created this inside this like expert group that have been chosen by the community and have a proven record of success because they have previously invested in companies that produce technology they've gotten good returns and they've been able to reinvest that money into companies that produce technology yeah so there are three options yeah i mean this is actually a good a good way to look at it under the anarchist option how many tablet computers are produced and how they're produced is decided by the workers. Under the free market capitalist option, it's decided by investors. And under the centrally planned economy, you know, either some kind of authoritarian version of capitalism or socialism, it's decided by a central planner. So obviously the anarchist option is out because that's dumb as fuck. And of course, workers don't know anything about tablet they actually claim that capitalism will produce overproduction, and they say that, oh, if we just have anarchism, it won't lead to overproduction. But literally, I think anarchism would be the most environmentally disastrous thing, because literally it would just lead to overproduction and terrible management of resources. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt, but you would never even get that far. That's my problem with anarchism. You would never even get that far. Because somebody would come in with guns and uh, and and, t- and kill everybody first. Yeah, <laughs> like you're never gonna get to you're never gonna get to the stage where you where you think about producing tablet computers because like people will just be killing each other all the time. <laughs> if you have, for example, um, your little community, you can't just let people in your community. You have to have some sort of borders. I know you might disagree with this, but you might actually agree with in this case. In exactly. anarchism, so, I agree with you. Yeah, in anarchism, you need yeah. to have closed borders. <laughs> but they were saying literally you don't have to have borders. I was like, okay, let's say I come from, I've, I've immigrated from a really far away area that's really poor. I have no education. For our little anarchist commune, society, you have to have a decent amount of education to be productive. But I want to join your society. Should I be allowed? In? And they were like, of course, we have compassion. Like, we, you, we have to, you're another human being. Like, why wouldn't we let you join our society? <laughs> so, well, I want to be productive unless get an education. It's like, okay, so we'll you know, spend a few years educating you. It's like, well, what am I going to do between those times? Because literally, there's almost nothing for me to do in terms of my productive capability. There's so many draining resources from you. And I'm just an outsider. Like, what actual incentive do you have? Why wouldn't the community? And this person's like, well, because we're human beings. We're empathetic. And I tried to put it like this. I'm like, okay, this is Miss Megajalan, um, our friend of the show, sent us to Mikhail Bakunin. It's like, okay, so why don't you literally have sex with every man who propositions you? And she got really offended by it because literally my whole entire point was you have to actually, you can't just like let everybody in if you're giving away free shit. It's going to lead the freeloaders. If you literally accept proposals to have sex with every man, literally people just be like, oh, this person will literally have sex with anybody and just literally get abused. It's like what you're literally arguing for is essentially rape. So you literally have to accept everybody in the alt-right conception of conservative. You're literally conforming to what they consider conservative. In the sense that, like, the idea of calling people cocks who support immigration, you're literally embodying that. Because you're saying that literally not only should we let everybody in, but we should literally just give them everything unconditionally. <laughs> it's like it's literally called being, it's called being cocks or raised. Sure. In an anarchist situation, if you just let anybody in, like, my, my question for anarchists always is like, well, look at all the riots and shit that happen even in societies with strong governments, right? These riots, you know, if we look at Detroit or L.A., well, we can talk about capitalism and the role of that. But, you know, nevertheless, in an anarchist society, it's not like it's going to be super prosperous at first. 
people are going to be lacking some of the goods, some of the resources they need to survive. And you're, how are you going to quell a riot? How are you going to stop a riot? How are you going to stop people from stealing stuff? What are you going to do? Well, you're going to have to shoot them or you're going to have to, you know, put them somewhere in a prison or whatnot. Well, now you've just created a police force. Okay. And you basically like automatically you've created state power in your little anarchist commune because somebody steals a loaf of bread, you know, is past his share. Like you, what are you, you're going to do something with him, right? You're going to either kill him or you're going to arrest him, put him in a little pen, whatever. But well, like you've already created the state. Now this anarcho society has a state. Like I don't, so I don't understand how it's a stateless society. You've already created a state. Well, because then the next thing that happens is okay put this guy in a pen. Well, now everybody else gets in a circle, and you vote on how long he's going to stay in the pen. Well, now you've created democracy. So, like, just from the start, you, you there's no such thing as an anarcho-communist society. There, there's no such thing as any anarchist society, because you know, like has been said for thousands of years, man is a political animal, you know? If it literally is anarchistic, it's literally Hobbes' state of nature. Yeah. That's the only anarchist society. Um, but what they literally deny is they deny game theory. Because what you're actually arguing is you're talking about game theory, like actual strategies of what is efficient and what is rational. Now, some people may say that there's a problem with rational like choice theory. That people always make rational choices. And that's fine, you know. For game theory to work, you don't have to necessarily assume people always make rational choices. We do have to assume is that generally people will tend to make more rational choices than not, at least. Mm-hmm. You can at least describe human behavior with the idea that people will act somewhat in some sort of self-interest. And they literally deny the idea that people op- operate in self-interest and that game theory models um, apply. Like, what we did right there was basically just game theory. We sat down and kind of, like, let's kind of look at, like, what are the decisions people can make? Like, even when I brought up the idea of, like, oh, you're just denying game theory, and then it's, like, quotation marks game theory, because that's a totally valid idea. I was like, yes, it is. It's a completely valid idea. It's very important. <laughs> They should just put the uh, the triple uh, like parentheses around it. Like th- then they'd be the art, right? Yeah, game fashion Jewish <laughs> uh, Gosh, yeah. There's this YouTuber um called Mexi who I've been watching. Who's like a a leftist YouTuber. She's like a doctorate in like geography or something like that. She had made this video about like the tragedy of commons. And literally, I think she even missed the point of the tragedy of commons. Like, I thought, like, this is the most retarded uh, response to the tragedy of commons. Because I've literally heard a decent response to this already a million times. And basically, the entire point was the reason why the tragedy of commons is complete bullshit is that, like, it assumes that people can't cooperate. And, like, that's the point, though, of the actual thing is, like, literally, the solutions to the tragedy of commons, either you have people agree to have private property or they have a state to manage it. That's the way you do it. You have to have some sort of body to manage disputes. You have a property system, or you have a state ownership system, where then you can enforce certain rules, and then you can cooperate in an effective manner. Like, the idea essentially that, oh, people can just freely graze in the land, and that, oh, co- of course, yes, literally, that is the point. The solution is, you cooperate. But how do you cooperate? You cooperate through private property or state control. It's like, literally, you miss the fucking point of the thing, and you're literally a PhD in geography, like, is she an ANCOM or what? She doesn't have like an ideology. She's just like, I'm a general leftist because, you know, people in, she's like, people in academia, we just read everybody and, you know, whatever. So she literally just has no ideology except general leftism. Okay. 
So kind of like me, except she's an idiot. But okay, my a random idea just popped in my head. I think we should we should do like a purge. Okay, we have a purge. We kill every Ancom and any leftist who cares more about like good feelings than rationality. So basically, we create an, an anarchist society for like twelve hours. We kill all of these people because that's, of course, the the uh, the result of anarchism, right? What else is going to happen in anarchism? People are just going to kill each other, and these people are idiots, and they're probably they probably don't own guns, so we can just kill all of them. So then, once all these people are dead, we bring back all the world governments, and now we have people on the right who care about freedom and markets, and people on the left. Well, now the only people on the left now will be people who care about like rationality and like. People on the left will want, you know, organizations to be run rationally, while people on the right will be will want them to be run with like with minimum government and maximum freedom. So because I think the left needs to be about rational direction of, you know, resources.